Hi, I'm Mel Binion, the executive producer of Question Everything. And before that, I was always a music producer. With this series, we're going to look into the strenuous process of creating music, songwriting, arranging, tracking, editing, mixing, and most importantly, mastering all help turn a single idea into a Grammy winning song. This is the element of music with Drew Mantia. This is Elemental. How are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me. Good. I like to start everyone off with the same question. What is creativity to you? What's creativity to me? I say for me, creativity is freedom. It's a freedom of expression and it's freedom of time for me in the sense of my, my all my time is focused around creativity which is like the greatest uh blessing and privilege of my life and something i've worked for for Absolutely. a long time and uh and i'm on the road to creativity being financial freedom also so uh those yeah it's freedom nice i like it so how did you exactly get started? Because I met you during the pandemic, but uh, I know you you have a long story, a long history, even working with Chance the Rapper, I believe. At some point along the journey, yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. The <laughs> Well, I just got started being a lover of radio, and um, uh, my my parents said that I just really enjoyed music seems seems like from birth and i some of my earliest memories where i had a cassette single of i had the time of my life from the dirty dancing soundtrack oh nice <laughs> and i had the little you know uh the boom box toy the little oh. boom box but it was like the little handheld like had a cassette and uh i would just play that thing front to back play it rewind it and just like all day long I don't know that why that song spoke to me, but <laughs> uh, and then obviously I went on to love other music, and I wanted to. Uh, I remember when I was, I, I have it framed on my wall right now in my family room. It's a letter to Santa that my mom kept where I was uh, seven years old, and I was asking for an alarm clock radio because okay. a I wanted to be able to wake myself up in the morning and be responsible. And uh, B, it had a radio dial. And I, when I got that thing, I was just surfing the radio dials all the time. And so that's how I just really found the passion for uh, pop and R&B and hip hop. And I went through a rock phase, but that didn't stick. Okay. <laughs> uh, so it was just the love that got me into it. That's what led me to pick up the guitar and start singing. And I mean, at the same time I picked up a guitar, I started recording it too. So my um, audio engineering and production journey started at the same time as my musical journey. I got the guitar because I was like, I want to be a songwriter and a producer and I'm going to need to know some yeah. instruments for that. So I did start with that intent. Uh, although in the coming years, I got more focused on trying to be the artist myself. And I started that way. Uh, don't we all? <laughs> yeah, I know. Don't we all? And, and 
yeah, it's uh, I don't regret my producer journey at all, but I do wonder if I hadn't like put it down, I'd be 20 years in the game at this point. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> I wonder what I could have done as an artist if I stuck to it. And that's like the best advice I'd give anyone to stick to it. That's what's worked for me as a producer. But anyway, I'm jumping into the future. Uh, so yeah, I started doing my own thing and producing my own recordings. I went to a music school, uh, you know, got a four year university degree in music and I was around the culture of musicians and Hey, check out my album. Yeah. They knew me as a musician and they were like, wait, you produced this too. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, okay, well, you know what we know about music and obviously you know about recordings too. So that's how other artists started asking me to produce them. Uh, where was the school at? St. Louis. Okay. Yeah, Webster University. It's a okay. Yeah, school. They got a nice little jazz program. Oh yeah, I. That's another thing we got in common. I I did my masters at Webster's. I if you told me that I forgot. That's crazy. Yeah, like uh, right before I moved to LA, I did my masters there. Uh, uh, Larry Fallout Morris was was like one of my classmates. Oh wow! One of the classes. Yeah. Yeah, he was around in my time too. During my undergrad uh wow oh yeah that's awesome Small so, world, yeah. Right? so yeah webster's where it spun off into other people asking me to produce for them and that kind of sucked me in because i realized like all like people are paying me for this and also <laughs> and just the idea that i was like okay i can make one album a year you know maybe one album every two years or it's like i work with all these other people i can make 10 albums this year and yeah. that was a more attractive proposition for me than even making, you know, me being the focus. I was like, I don't need to be the focus if I can make 10 times more the albums. Right. So that's like what attracted me to the production. And, you know, that just slowly, slowly snowballed. I did it in St. Louis for a bit. I moved to Kansas city and did it for a bit. I moved to Chicago. That's where I did like a couple songs with a young chance and, some other people like that. And uh, that's where I started having like a real, I was full-time producing, being like a Chicago hip hop producer and, you know, on from there. And and I've really uh, diversified the kind of genres and things that I've done since then. Uh, but yeah, I just stuck with it. I just knew right when I got into it that it, I wanted to stick with it. I never really, I mean, we all have our doubts as, creatives and artists but um and i i always entertain those doubts over the years you know yeah. like maybe it's time to hang it up you, you know at times where it was hard oddly i often ask myself yeah that. we all we all think about that like literally every morning we wake up it's like so, or at least yeah. i i kind of have a conversation with myself about it maybe like once a year once every couple years and i really seriously consider it like where am i at where do i want to be does it has this all felt worth it? Does it still feel worth it? Are you still in love with it? I really check in on that. And uh, the answer always ends up being yes. But I give myself like that. Hey, if it's if you need to make a change, if you feel like it's a no. But yeah, I've asked it during the hard times. But I ask it during the good times, too. And sometimes, you know. Yeah, it's just a good point to stop. Yeah, you got to ask yourself that as well. So, yeah, but when I started and I, I felt like I wasn't going to stop and I'm, I haven't, I just keep making the choice to not stop. So that's, that's where we're at now. Have you had any uh, inspirations like that come out of like St. Louis or Kansas City or Chicago that you relate to your, 
that you add to your production or oh okay yeah uh definitely uh really influenced by the music so i wasn't raised around music at all it really was just an attachment to the radio and hearing music and a little bit of music that i was supposed exposed to by family and later friends and stuff uh that that kind of got me going but uh you know i, I didn't have musician parents or musician family members or go to concerts or go to church with live music or any of these things. It just really sprung from my own interest in what people were doing on recordings. I think that that's what made me fall in love with recordings. Um, so then when I did get exposed to a culture of musician in high school and college, it was a lot of like funk and soul music and, and even like randomly sometimes like reggae and, and then I studied jazz at Webster. So uh, oh, yeah. somehow. Well, no wonder so, why we click. <laughs> yeah. So the St. Louis scene that I felt, at least the, the lane of St. Louis that I fell into was very funky and jammy and yeah. jazzy and soulful and sometimes bluesy. And uh, so, and I was in a very, you know, live band environment. You know, I, I wasn't really, I wasn't, I didn't, I was doing hip hop and stuff at that time, or I was like making what you would call beats, like starting in high school, but you know, that wasn't yeah. the focus of what I did. Yeah. And, and so my first, I started producing and engineering four bands, all live instruments, you know, uh, and which is a different stuff. monster completely from just, yeah, beat making. And I, yeah. but I'm glad I started there. So that's really maybe my biggest influence and inspiration from St. Louis was that, I just spent a lot of time around other musicians and around bands and live music and playing the guitar myself in those environments and uh, singing as well. I definitely can see that. Yeah. Yeah. And then moving to Kansas City, that, that was influential. That kind of started me down the hip hop lane. I was just happened to be meeting some rappers and I uh, did an internship at the studio that turned out to be the studio where tech nine and all of his oh, nice. label signings record at. Yeah. And so I met uh, those guys and I, you know, got to do some shadowing and get some tips from their engineer um, who's still a friend of mine. And he taught me some really good tricks that I use. I still use daily at this point. Uh, and so that was just like a thing where it kind of got me on this hip hop, hip hop momentum because I could yeah. tell small time rappers, I could be like, hey, I've been interning it with, you know, at the studio where Strange Music is recording with their engineer and getting tips from him and stuff. So that at least they were willing to consider working with me. And then when they actually worked with me, I did a good job. And so I started getting hip hop sessions under my belt. So then when I moved to Chicago, I just kept going with that momentum to just hit up. I was I, I started working with bands too in Chicago, but then I you know I kind of more specialized in beat production eventually. Yeah. Um, but my beats have always had kind of you know elements of more. I like I try to make them less loopy. There's more guitar and and kind of you know looser keyboard sometimes stuff and horns and all that. So that's kind of you know tying in the you know. I pulled the St. Louis influence and then the Kansas City influence and then Chicago, the influence was really um, 
I got there right at the time when both uh, Chief Keith and Chance were popping off. Okay. And so you had like that drill sound and you had, you know, the Chance like. So what was that, 2010s area? 2010 this was era? 2012 that I okay, yeah. rolled up. And uh, you had like Chance doing kind of like the reviving kind of the Kanye feel good Chicago yeah. soul sound. And so that was really, inf- that was already influential to me as a listener when I got there. You know, even before I was into listening to hip hop for many years before I started. So uh, I was into that stuff. So then yeah, Sorry, you hearing, broke up a little like bit. Chance and, oh, am I back? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're back now. Uh, yeah. Uh, so it, I was inspired hearing artists like Chance and, and a lot of, uh, you know, lesser known artists that I was working with on the scene at the time. But, you know, they were in, we were integrating soulful chord progressions and R&B chord progressions, which would come into play for me later, and horns and and choir type vocals and oh, know, yeah. gospel kind of sounds and stuff so that real uh feel good soulful energy and so that was a big influence on me um and as well as like exploring a little bit of the more like slightly trappy drillish side of chicago uh which has never been my bread and butter but i like just being exposed to it in the air right, you know, it, changed, right. it changed like it definitely influenced like the drums i use and things like that uh so that all influenced that. and then i got kind of re-influenced by st louis when i moved back i kind of came back and was looking to kind of shake off the the hip-hop specialty a little bit just to yeah i, I always had a passion for r&b it was one of the when I was a little kid and and flipping that radio dial, I was really enamored with like the R and B station, nineties R and B, and yeah, that's always, me all day nineties R and B. Yeah, man. Like I grew up in Chicago, so V one hundred three was everything yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah. I've got a song uh, that's getting some spins on beat one hundred three right now, uh, as well as some other stations across the country. But that was a cool cool moment for me recently uh but yeah so coming back to st louis i wanted to kind of i was integrating my r&b love into the feel-good hip-hop beats it was a good fit for me because i was into the soulful chord progressions and the little more r&b type stuff that they were putting into the chicago hip-hop at the time so then when i came back to st louis i got to i fell into a cool there's just a amazing pool of r&b singers here and singers in general and so i just fell into working with them and got to start flexing the r&b muscles and that's kind of what i've been specializing in the past couple years in st louis so oh yeah uh, like and and that's something i think that my kind of i my role in st louis on the st louis scene i think is i put those years in in chicago and i developed a sound and I learned from them and I was influenced and took inspiration from them. And then I brought that back to St. Louis and I feel that I uh, genuinely bring something like a unique perspective to music in the Midwest, you know, and I work with people in St. Louis, Kansas City and Chicago, as well as, you know, people in LA and stuff too, and some other random places. But I really do specialize in the Midwest and uh, that has those sounds 
of those kind of that trifecta of Midwest cities that. Yeah, they're three very different sounds, too. Yeah, that my experience. And of course, you know, listening to I was a big West Coast hip hop fan uh, growing up and stuff like that. And uh, so integrating that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's super inspired by the Midwest experience. Oh, that's that's amazing. <laughs> well, do you have uh, any uh, inspirations from like older artists like Stevie Wonder or anyone? Stevie Wonder is definitely one of my all time. You know yeah. it already. Uh, Stevie Wonder, Sting, uh, uh, Michael Jackson. Uh, Timbaland was on the production front. Um, who else? D'Angelo was huge for me. Oh, okay. Uh, John Mayer was big for me. Uh, those are like, those are definitely probably the, the biggest ones, you know, like a Quincy Jones on the production that, you know, kind of, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Jackson, but, um, also, like, uh, I don't know how often I'm able to really flex it in song production. I am doing a little bit of, like, commercial composition where I get to do this. But, like, someone like a John Williams, who is one of, like, the all-time great film scoring composers. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Jurassic Park, Home Alone, on and on and on. And uh, I'm really inspired by by uh by him and uh i'm really trying to like i'm trying to do more of that in like the later part of my music career and uh kind of trying to plant the seeds for that now and working on those skills oh perfect sounds good well we'll take a break right here so i just want to dive into your process of creating the song you know starting with songwriting when you have an initial thought, where does it go from there? These days, I think I try to have, I guess the main, the main part of my game is to try and have as many initial thoughts as possible. So I just try and catalog anything from a full, full song idea, a full beat idea from there all the way down to like a 10 second audio clip of, you know, whatever, sing something in my phone, play a little guitar thing. And I just keep all those cataloged on in my voice notes on my computer. And uh, a lot of stuff that I do stems out of those little sketches where it's like, I keep them really well categorized and stuff. So it's like, all right, we're working on R&B songs. Let me see if I have anything oh, yeah. worth expanding on that sparks a lot of stuff uh as well as just the, i do plenty of you know being in the room with the artist and coming up with something from scratch you know what kind of song are we writing today we think about it we kind of listen to some reference songs of you know this is the kind of general vibe or like yeah. oh, i like the drums about this song i like the lyrics from this song i like the genre of this song and we kind of uh do that so, so I guess it's I'm never always, just one thing yeah we you know you yeah i switch it up and uh and i but i guess the thing is just i was i usually try and find some sort of initial like momentum whether it be 
as I said, going through my catalog of pre-existing ideas, seeing if that sparks anything, looking for that spark. And then, you know, if we're going completely from scratch, then yeah, maybe listening to some references and just trying to catch the vibe. And then once, so yeah, I guess that's my, my, my first thing is just trying to find the emotion that we're trying to capture. Absolutely. Yes. And, and, you know, and that, and that takes shape to some parameters that starts to tell you what the tempo is like, what the, you know, and how do we represent that feeling we're trying to create? So then I, once you identify that, then I'm just trying to really find like the core of it, just like one thing that has that I feel like is a powerful enough element to carry the whole thing. So yeah, just like that first piano part or a really good guitar part where it's like, all right, just listening to this part on loop, I'm like, that's a song. There's something there. It's bringing. So you got a foundation across. of the song. It's foundation. It's bringing the emotion across. If whoever the vocalist is, myself or or the artist that I'm producing, like there's lyrics and melodies starting to come to mind. It's like, all right, this this is inspiring the feeling we're trying to create. Uh, so that's really that's the launch point that I is like I don't I guess what I'm I don't believe in really hammering on an idea. Like sometimes some people and for some people I think it totally works for them. They kind of pick like this is my idea and I'm sticking with it. And I'm gonna I'm try to force it to idea. work. Yeah. I'm going to make this idea dope. Like it's not dope now, but I'm going to mess with it till it's dope. And I just, I have to feel a certain way about the very first initial idea. And once I get there, it's really easy. It's just development from there. Yeah. But yeah, I try and spend the time in the beginning where it's like, try something like that's not the idea. Listen to this beat fragment. Uh, Maybe that's something. No, that's not it. Try and find the thing where it's like, I've got, I've got a good lyric, or I've got a song title, or I've got a hook, or I've got this melody. Something where it's like, I just know when there's, when I have the building blocks, where it's like, okay, that's a whole song. All we need is is the hours, and that's a song. So I try and find that up front. Yeah, yeah. Usually me, I like do it all in reverse. It's like, for some reason. My favorite part of every song is like the bridge or like like the end of the song. So it's like if I'm not feeling the bridge, it's like I got to go back. And I think that comes from like listening to so much gospel music because like the, like the end of the song is so much better than the beginning of it to me all the time. So I won't necessarily start from the bridge, but I do try and start from what I conceptualize as what's going to be the biggest part of the song. Yeah. Because then I then I typically will build that up so that I can subtract pieces out of that to create other sections. Oh, okay. So it's kind kind of that idea. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I do some, usually I do like to start from the end in that sense, like whenever possible, as early as possible, if we can come up with the song idea and kind of like instrumentally what kind of, a climactic instrumental moment sounds like then it's like everything else 
you just reverse engineer it. How do we lead to this big finish? And how do we, this is kind of the, what we're trying to say with the song. How do we detail that along the way? Right. So, yeah, I do like to think of starting from the ends uh, a lot. Yeah, usually like the bridge, the bridge is the easiest for me because it's like, like I said before, then I go to the chorus, maybe a pre-chorus. So like you heard that on medicine when I did that and like I wrote all of that, but then like me, Dre and Ashley went back and wrote the verses. So it's, but yeah, uh, that's a cool way to go. But uh, moving on from uh, starting with songwriting, then going to uh, like, is there any tips or tricks that you use when like arranging something together? Like, well, yeah, sure. So I, you know, since I'm doing a a very modern style of production that's you know mostly computer based, I am doing some artists where we have a live drummer and a full band and everything. Uh, I, I still do some of that, but uh, most of what I'm doing these days is I'm playing, you know, most everything on the stuff that I do. And I start by, yeah. Uh, like I was alluding to at the end of the, the songwriting segment is building up like a big section even trying to throw like too much at it. Yeah. It's, you know, this is like an eight or 16 bar loop and it's just looping and I'm adding stuff to it. And then you start, you, I start making, just copy that loop a bunch of times. And then I go backwards and start taking things out of it. And it's like, okay, if I take this out, believe this now, it sounds like a verse. Uh, and then, you know, sometimes it's like, all right, well, I need a different, you know, some songs I do a full, there's a different chord progression and stuff for the verse and the pre-chorus and the hook and the bridge. And then some songs, it's like the same chords the whole time, but you change up the sections by bringing parts in and out. And it's like, yeah. what, you know, this part is more sparse and this part is all stacked up like this. And this part plays it with a guitar and this part plays it with a key sound. And it's like those different things. So I'll on top of each other and then subtract it down so i think that's a good way to start and then i'll actually because i it depends you know if it's like a hip-hop song it's just like they want it to be loopy i'm down with being a little loopy but yeah. what i most often do is i figure it out with loops and then i go through and then i add change up i add fills and bass fills and guitar oh, yeah, fills yeah, yeah. And, and to give it the moments where it's got some life and you know, I try and make it sounds more improvised than it is. Like I, I improvise like some options of bass licks and stuff and then pick the coolest ones and everything. But so it's improvised in that sense. But then like I, you know, but I want to make sure that the vocals, the star and the bass can jump. Oh, here's a spot where the bass can jump out for a fill. Oh, absolutely. And this can do that. So yeah, I have to do that all the time because, like, I use a lot of live musicians. Like, so they all, yeah. first thing they ask me is, where can I solo? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like so, when I work with other musicians, just let, like, uh, collect. I, I like to have them, I tell them to give me, like, a couple, 
more basic takes like if they're playing the bass like stick to kind of the main bass line and the yeah. notes and stuff and then i'm like you know give me a couple takes with you know whatever fills you want to do and then give me a couple more takes where you just like do what you think is over the top and then yeah i'll comp together those different pieces and like oh well there's room for them to do you know an over the top fill right here and they can do a little something there and then i'll you know like so they get to improvise all these ideas and then i'll just curate where the ideas happen throughout the song yeah um so yeah i think uh like just collect a ton of ideas if i'm going to give advice like at like i was saying in the initial writing stage voice memo and demos and whenever you have an idea and then when you're in the creation stage and building it just record everything and you know you can sort it out as you yeah give yourself options give yourself options when you're recording with other people and you have them through have that or someone sending you something remotely get request a bunch of options from those people and and build from there but yeah i'm a big fan of collecting a bunch of stuff and then going through an editing process of putting it all together and you know so you can take something that started as a straight up eight 16 bar loop and you know create some a full arrangement that doesn't sound loopy at all oh absolutely by by going through that method because like my my song i'm about to release is dreamer is like a uh we just sampled uh mana mana which is like the same thing for eight bars and turned it into a five minute song but it's like the stuff that the the horn section does over top of it is always different in different sections so it's you could always add more to like the most basic thought yeah totally uh so when the when it comes to like tracking artists or or when you're tracking other musicians how how many takes do you normally have them do or or try i'm fortunate that i work with like all the vocalists I work with are so good. So a lot of them, you know, uh, you know, that's a lesson. That's a message and a lesson. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not, I don't want to discourage, like there's also something to be said. I still work with some like beginning artists that are making their first songs because like, if I meet them and they have a good attitude and I feel like that, uh, I can, my help can actually make them better and does make them better. I'm still interested. That's really kind of the, the bottom line of one. Yeah, if they're willing to be helped, it's easy. It's like if I if I if I'm convinced that I can make this artist sound better in recorded music than they did before they came to me, then like I feel like that's I'm doing my mission and fulfilling my purpose. Absolutely. Uh but I so I don't want to say discriminate people who are still working on their vocals. I'm not the most amazing singer, but I do work with a lot of R&B and soul singers that are just really fantastic at what they do. So um, they're kind of able, they kind of tend to sound good from the first take oftentimes. And you just have them say, yeah, additional takes are trying different ideas. And, you know, if I approach this line more airy and this and more breathy and this more strong and, you know, and this and that, and just try different things and, we come up with background parts and harmonies on the fly, like try this and try, you know, and 
we build arrangements, vocal arrangements in real time like that oftentimes. So I'm actually, I am into having it be as close to the first take as possible. Okay. If somebody can do the first take of anything, yeah, like instrumental parts, the vocal parts, if somebody can do a first take and it's right on point, then I'm satisfied. But if it takes a hundred takes, that's a frustrating <laughs> process. But I, you know, if that's what it takes, yeah, I just I need the take. I'm and, and I feel like that's part of what I do as a producer, and maybe it's one of my, hopefully one of my talents as a producer is. <laughs> That take, that's the one. Can you repeat that last time? Can you repeat that one more time? I was saying, I think, or I hope that I have a talent of, as a producer to be able to call out that's the take. And so I'm content if that's take one or if that's take 100. I'm actually more content the closer it is to take one to just like capture the raw, I think the raw energy of it. Um, and and I prefer that I do have some artists. Actually, the <laughs> I've trained some artists to record themselves because I do have some artists that want to do hundreds and hundreds of takes per song. And oh no, there's just like yeah, you're going to tire your voice out at that point. I mean, they do it. They don't do it in one setting. Sitting even yeah. they do it across days and weeks. Um, and that's you know. The home setup, so that they can do that. Where it's like I feel like not cranking out an hour of takes, and they can do a bunch of you know, and they can do that for weeks, and then some of them that's what it takes to be satisfied with it, and then we can comp it all together. So those artists, I teach them to record themselves. I also because I work with artists in multiple cities, I have people that I've helped train to record themselves well enough that they can send me stuff. And a lot of those happen to be people that do a ton of takes. So I, if it's a ton of takes, I tend to have the artist because those are all drill it down to a couple and send them to you. Yeah, or, that's or they can even send me all of them, but and I'll just comp it down. Um, some of them I've even taught them to comp it down themselves and send me the comp that they want, and I'll just clean it up. Uh, you know, so typically I do like kind of vocal production and arrangement that's typically more the artists i was describing that they get it down really fast and we can just kind of improvise and that's yeah. like the easiest way to try this background line and try this harmony and try this this stack and all this that stuff is easier with somebody that's able and comfortable i guess and the thing is the people that do a ton of takes they sound good in the early takes it's just about satisfying themselves right and so that's part of why I'm like, I don't really need to be here. Because if you let me pick, I would have picked like take seven. Yeah. You know, uh, I didn't need, for me, I didn't need take 200, but it's it's for them. Like usually with me, it's like I'm always looking at the artist or like looking at the musician while they're tracking to like read their body language to see if they, you know, if they actually hate it. But <laughs> Because you you could tell by their body language if they hate the take before they say something. Oh sure. Oh totally. Yeah. Um, I also just like to capture a lot of takes on like loop and to try and just uh, capture a lot of options that way when we're doing it in person. But so I guess it's a combination of low takes and high takes. But I'm not usually the one calling for 
uh, yeah. a ton of takes. Where I spend a lot of time is, like I described, the initial idea, the spark of it that's going to be built, you know, the foundation that everything's going to be built on. And then I spend a lot of time in like the editing process of picking those best takes that we captured and oh, okay. finding ways to do things with what's been recorded. You know, like that kind of, that's a really important stage for me between the recording and the mixing is really editing. And some of the artists that I work with, even when I don't produce the song, like make the beats and all that stuff, they still have me do the editing of the song. Yeah, I think I had you do a little bit of it, editing. And so, and and that's really fun, and it, and it helps me have a, even more of a creative voice in something where I'm just kind of supposed to be. I mean, mixing is definitely creative, but where, you know, to me, like the mixing and the editing is part of one of the same thing, where it's just like, I'm... Most people, fortunately, I'm glad I kind of built uh, my career this way. But most people, yeah, they give me something and they want me to not just polish the audio of it, but they want me to take a look at what can I do with the arrangement and, you know, add some beat drops and some fills and some, you know, and just really. Yeah, because sometimes it's like I know with me, it's like I've. I know nothing about engineering. Like I try my best, but I know the absolute minimum. But like with me, it's like I always like I always hope that like the whoever's mixing my projects would would hear like this part was like and like recommend like hey, don't you think there should be a like a drop here or something here? Yeah. Yeah, I found in my years, which is good because it aligns with my personal interest and in creativity, I found that most artists, um, if they're going to spend their money on, you know, a professional engineer and producer, they really want someone who's not just going to give them, oh, here's like polished what you did. They want someone like a word that people use a lot is elevated. They're like, yeah, I want you, I want to give this to you. I want you to elevate this, what it, whatever that takes. That might take more than just mixing. That might take adding guitar, doing edits and, and whatever. It's like, right. yeah, elevate this. So uh, I play that role. Usually, you know, if I'm not producing it, I am playing that elevator role, that basically post-production role where like, it was produced up front. The vocals are done. Now, like, I'm taking a post-production pass on, now that everything's together, what can we, yeah. what can we elevate? And after you get done with editing, you, I know part of it, you, the last part is mixing and mastering. Uh, are there any, any tips or anything that you would give to, like, artists or musicians before? Yeah. To prepare like the to prepare, Ooh, to you prepare to mix for it. having their songs mixed and yeah. Yeah. Um because I know you get all the other questions, but like Yeah, I have a page on my I shared for people where like I made some video and text content on uh on explaining that. Um I would say that uh I mean you're always 
going to save time if you give them the mixing engineer something that's organized. I know this isn't as creative, but just on like a nuts and bolts technical thing, like organized files that, so, you know, uh, you can easily waste a bunch of time just having to figure out what these oh, yeah. like unlabeled tracks are and all that stuff. So you can help the engineer get to the mix quicker, which is going to save you money, put them in a better, more creative mood when, you know, when they pull your song up. Yeah. Label everything. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I usually put like, I usually put the tempo on the kick and like the key signature, like on the piano or something. Yeah. To let people or, know. like on the folder. Yeah. Put it on the folder that's labeled with the BPM and stuff. Yeah. Little things like that. Just save a little time that allows the mix to get to a creative place quicker. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would also say it helps to like clean up stuff, dead space and stuff. But now we're getting into, this is a territory where I would give the caveat that like, if you're not good at this stuff, like, if you're not working with an en a recording engineer that can do this or you're recording yourself and you don't know how to do this without like making errors because like you know like you're you you know what i'm talking about you record and there's two bars of dead space before your vocal comes in or something and there's room noise and stuff it's like it saves time to cut that out but if you cut that out wrong you can create clipping and stuff yeah so if, if you're not working with someone that knows how to cut that out then leave it for the mixing engineer but you know, if you're working with a totally competent recording engineer that knows how to do that stuff, like, ideally, they should be doing a good deal of that, like, while it's being recorded, just kind yeah. of cleaning it up as it goes. And then, um, so little stuff like that, um, always send a, a demo mix or a rough mix, just like whatever state the song is in before you send it to mix like the mixing engineer is going to understand that that's not like a representation of the final thing. That's what I'm here for is to make it final. Yeah. But it's like, even if it's uh totally distorted and complete garbage, it's like, it helps. It lets you know what they had in mind too. Right. It helps hear what it, it usually, yeah. has some clues about what's important to them. So it's like, they might not have been able to execute it the way they wanted to, but it's like, all right, well, this has like huge distorted bass. Like it's clearly like making the bass knock is a priority for them. And, you know, also, you know, something like how did they mix the vocal stuff, stacks and stuff? That's like a big thing. You can record all these vocal layers and different ways that you mix them in can really change how they present. And, you know, you might, if you don't listen to a good, a decent reference, you might like, think this part's not important when it's actually this is the important part and this was the background and you mix that up or something yeah. so yeah just hearing where the priority is with your tracks through listening to the demo mix the rough mix the reference mix whatever you want to call it that's uh that's a good thing for the mixing engineer to be able to do so always always uh include that you know you also want to give the highest quality files that you can like 24 bit is really important if you know nothing else about getting stems for mix get files that are 24 bit that's 24 bit wave files uh that's important most people get that you know um a, a positive side effect of the pandemic was 
people got more comfortable and more knowledgeable with remote collaboration. Oh, so yeah. now these days, mo a lot of people that I work with remotely are are already pretty savvy to how to make proper stems to what they're doing and everything. So um, I'm glad yeah, I people think, are like, that. Medicine, we did, like everybody was remote. Because I know uh, Ashley recorded her vocals back in 2018 with just like a loop track. So she didn't even hear the the end of it to the actual song to like two weeks before like I I released it. That's a great thing, too. That's I'm jumping back a little bit in the question sequence, but I do like to try and get to vocals as quick as possible. So it's like we can replace the vocals with like final takes later. It doesn't have to be the final vocals, but it's like, I try and encourage and, and guide the artist to writing as much as they can with like as little instrumental as possible. Yeah. Because once for me, it's all about the vocals. So when the vocals are there in any form, even if they're rough, even if they're in progress, that informs me so much what to do with the instrumental and everything that I'm doing, that it's like having a, a map of where the song's going. And all I have to do is just take the time to follow the map down the road to the finished song. So that's another thing, uh, another oh, okay. thing that's important to me that I kind of jumped back on. But So when do you know uh, are your, oh, there you go. So when do you know a song is done? My my thing is, can I listen to it? This is my test. Can I listen to it from front to back without wanting to stop it or wanting to, you know, explain something? You know, where it gets to the end, I'm sitting there with the artist and it gets to the end and I'm like, well, we'll do this and this and I got these notes and, you know, or it doesn't make me go, what was that? It make me want to stop it and like dig in like, wait, what did I just hear? And, you know, what about this and second guessing stuff? Basically, like, there's a large portion of working on the song for me once it's down to the mix and master process. And, you know, and I'll go back and change production stuff, too, if I'm producing it, if I have to. But it's just a process of, can I listen to this from front to back and trick myself into just being a listener? And, right. and my producer brain gets bypassed and my engineer brain gets bypassed because it doesn't go like, Oh, that vocal came in kind of harsh, or this, or you know, is the bass and is the bass right? Is and whatever. It's like if I'm not questioning anything, um, because I can get to a point where I'm satisfied with it. Like I know it's a big meme in music recording and production that like the song's never over; it just gets released, and you have to give up on it. And, okay. Uh, you know, I feel like I can find the end, and that's that's the test is. Can I listen to it and just be like, and just love it and not criticize it? Yeah, I just typically like put it in a playlist with songs that are similar to it. Mm. And if I can't notice that song compared to the other songs that I know is finished. Yeah. Like if it blends in well. Yeah, I'm doing that. I'm a big referencer along the way, all the way from production to the mixing and mastering, I'm always pulling up other things to just compare to see how, like you said, does this fit on the playlist with with this thing? Does it fit in the genre? 
and then like as I develop a project with an artist and a sound with an artist, it's more of referencing our other work. Like, does this fit on the album or does this sound like the follow up to the last single right. sonically? So uh, I also self-reference. So referencing's big in, in really every step except for the recording stage. So awesome. All right. Another question I always ask everyone is what advice would you give yourself now? Uh, what advice would you give your younger self uh, if you could go back in time? It sounds, uh, it sounds cliche, but the first thing I thought of was patience. Just that um, I never quit the game and I'm so glad that happened. But um you know, I, it was lack of patience that led me to change from like trying to be the artist myself to the producer kind of because I was like, well, this is working now and who knows when the artist thing works. Although I don't regret that at all. I really am really satisfied with the producer yeah. life. So, uh, but um, where was I going with that? Remind me of the question. Uh, what advice would you give yourself if you could go back in time? Yeah, yeah and I was saying patience. Um, yeah. Yeah, patience and, and just maybe I would just let myself know that the hard work does pay off. But that's, you know, but you just have to go through that that long. I mean, it's still a faith journey with what I do. Like, um I mean, you, it can be a religious faith journey if that's your thing, but I mean, just faith in the sense of believing in what's unseen and what's unknown. And yeah. that unseen is your, your artistic and commercial and your career success. And I, you, I mean, I clearly had to have some faith because I stuck with it. You know, I've been doing this professionally for, like uh 18 years or something and full time for like 12 and nice. um yeah and so i've obviously stuck with it but uh i would have maybe helped my earlier self just feel more comfortable with it less anxious about it and just know that you know but i guess but like I said, but yeah that's what i'm trying to say is you you have to I guess I wouldn't tell myself that. I wouldn't interfere because you have to go through that, I think. <laughs> you have to figure it out and you have oh, to yeah. feel that out. So I guess I would just say, you know, have patience. Like, Just trust the process. Trust the process as long as you love it. As long as you love it, stay with it. If you nice. really love it, yeah, never, never let it go. So what's next for you? Well, it's I, I, I've got some really cool Christmas music about to start coming out, and I'm oh, actually nice. really excited about. You get on that train. Yeah, uh, well, You'll I never have get a couple off of Christmas it. songs out now that I did with uh, one of my sync licensing publishers. They also have like a label, so um, that's out on streaming. I got a, a couple Christmas songs, um, and then an artist I produce, uh, Joshua Showtime Williams. He's a great R&B singer oh, that yeah. I work with from Chicago. Uh, I've had a lot of success with um, with him uh, recently in the past uh, couple years, and especially the last year. 
and um so we're still riding success of his uh album and his single nasty which in the music video and that's what's been getting some radio play and uh millions of streams and stuff and really uh so uh, we're kind of jumping from what was a big hit for him and for us into something a little more laid back and fun with some Christmas music, but it's <laughs> actually turned out like so incredibly good. It's really, I really believe I haven't listened to all the Christmas music out there, but it's, it really feels like some of the most, you, it has the classic traditional feel good Christmas nostalgic vibe, but it also is like diving into some different topics than what you get on Christmas. Yeah. Like, so know, these aren't original. These are originals, not. I think not, we're gonna uh, do remakes. one cover, but yeah. these are originals, and you know we have some fun stuff, some sexy romantic stuff. Um, this we have uh, this really touching song about you know people who are missing, you know, lost loved ones during the holidays, and, and you know that's something that uh, unfortunately a lot of people feel and we will all feel at some point in our lives. Oh yeah. Uh, so I, I really feel like we're doing something And the first single for that drops um, November 11th. I know that we're. So it would be right after this. Perfect. Well, the, it, no, this would air right after that drops or, Oh, perfect. So then out now. Yeah. Uh, I, it's called by Joshua Showtime Williams. The first single is I want you under my Christmas tree. And oh. it's uh, it's uh, I'm already adding that to my playlist. That sounds like it's about to be. It's really yeah. fun. He just put up a little teaser of it today on his on his ID, uh, ID, IG. Uh, so that's something I'm randomly excited about. But uh, the general future is um, working on a lot of really cool R&B projects that are uh, going to be coming out. I am building my catalog of like music for sync licensing sync licensing songs um getting those signed and getting tv placements and stuff and doing a little bit of custom commercial composition i've done weird stuff lately that i'm proud of like i, I wrote a project of circus music for a client and just weird like orchestral circus music and oh, that's uh, crazy <laughs> yeah um so i'm doing some weird stuff like that too but but i am mainly in like the r&b pop and hip-hop lanes and and so i just got a lot of cool stuff on the horizon with that and i'm just uh i just had the like best year of my music career yet and i'm just trying to uh look i'm already like i've been for weeks now, you know, looking ahead to, I'm already in 2024 mode and I'm trying oh, yeah. <laughs> to line up the releases and the things that are going to be happening. So I'm in the planning stage for, you know, the further future and there's a lot of cool stuff going on. So, um, the, well, we're excited to see it. Just excited more, yeah, the, yeah, more, more of the, the great stuff that's been happening, you know, been making a ton of music that I'm super satisfied with. A lot of it's been getting a great response and and listenership and stuff. So just more of that. And yeah, in the immediate, check out some Christmas music. It's uh, <laughs> I'm I'm really proud of it. And 
Um, I know some people are a little bah humbug about Christmas music, but this might be the stuff. This might be the stuff to win you over. The first single is a little more traditional, but it's definitely got some new spice to it. It's got it's got some 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 little sprinkles that that you're not going to feel in a normal Christmas song. And then uh, then there's some stuff to come on the larger project that is really uh, it's really just some of it's just some smack in R and B, man, because. We were talking about favorite Christmas songs, and an example he brought up was "Let It Snow" by Boys to Men. Oh, absolutely, yeah, that, that's everyone's favorite and, song. And, the, and we were listening to it and vibing to it, and I was like, "The thing about this is, there's nothing Christmassy about the instrumental. They're just it's just an R&B song, and they're singing about Christmas." So we did some of that, and man, I'm really excited about it. So I hope, uh, yes, I, I hope in the immediate you'll check that out, and maybe just uh, you're probably seeing this on Instagram or YouTube, and I have. You know, Drew Mantia is my screen name on all. I was just going to ask you where they can find you. Yeah, Drew Mantia, Instagram on YouTube, on TikTok, all that stuff. So any of that stuff, uh, Facebook as well. Any of those, you know, if you're kind enough to follow me, I'm putting out. If you're in the industry and if you're a musician, I'm always putting out tips that people seem to find helpful. And um, if you're interested in knowing about the stuff I'm producing and the releases and stuff, I'm also posting about that. So if you have any interest in though any of those things, check out one of my pages on any of those sites. Well, thank you for uh... com also my bad. Uh, <laughs> I, I just I was like, oh, I recently updated my website and I think it's it's in a really good spot. So drewmantia.com if you want to get the full story on the stuff I've talked about, my past and my portfolio and get in touch with me, that place as well. Nice. Well, thank you for joining me, sitting down and talking with me. It's been a pleasure. I learned a lot. I hope the audience will have learned a lot more about you as well. This has been Elemental with yours truly, Mel Binion, a.k.a. Amelio. Be sure to follow the podcast, like and subscribe, and tune in next time when we go deeper into the elements of music with another guest.